0: holidays we will literally celebrate Christmas okay this week we officially celebrate this historical event that changed the world as we know it. we believe it is a theological event without question it has great significance in what God is trying to communicate to the world and what it means in our lives but it also has historical significance it is an event that changed the world today we talk a bit about the incarnation of Jesus his the, the word becoming flesh now even though the majority of us in this room would likely agree that Christmas has a very particular meaning for the Christian That's not always the case with the rest of our culture. We are free as a world to view Christmas in whatever way we want, even if we don't view it as valid at all. all. But for us, I always try to frame the idea that Christmas actually means something very particular for those who love and follow Jesus. In a very diverse culture, we have a very particular understanding of Christmas. So in light of this fact, and for the sake of illustrating what is perhaps the most common way people do see Christmas, I want to tell you, it's been about three years now, my absolute favorite Christmas joke. It's a story of a young boy named Johnny, and this is a young man who really has a bad attitude and deeply understands Christmas, misunderstands Christmas. Everyone who knew this boy, especially his mom, knew that he was just a hard kid to deal with, terrible attitude. And despite the fact that his mom deeply loved Johnny and tried to correct him and care for him, Johnny constantly gave her a hard time. And so he, one Christmas, demanded, even though he'd been a terrible rotten kid, demanded that his mom buy him a really expensive bike. And naturally, being a good parent, his mom said, no, we have to get the attitude in check before I'll reward you with anything. And so being the good Christian mom she was, she tried to speak to his heart, and she gently instructed him to go to his room with a pen and a paper. And rather than appealing to Santa, she said, you need to go and write a letter to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your terrible attitude. Johnny, being an incredibly hard-hearted kid, was not happy with this at all, and so he stormed off into his room and slammed his door. Johnny's mom showed him about, a, about an hour's worth of grace, gave him some time to write that letter, and eventually called him into the living room to see what he had written, only to find out that he came out with a blank piece of paper and was ardently refusing to do it. And so this time, more firmly, she sent him back to the room to write the letter. Very stern warning. An hour later, she called him out to the living room again to check on the progress, and she found the same result. However, this time, Johnny was more obstinate than ever and told his mom that he would never in a million years write that letter and that she still better buy him the bike. It was on at that point. So Johnny's mom, her patience had sort of fallen at this point, she was furious, sent him back to his room and told him that he could not come out of that room until he wrote that letter. And that even when he did, he shouldn't expect to get anything for Christmas that year, especially an expensive bike. So Johnny angrily went to his room and sat on his bed figuring out how he could get the bike. He cared nothing about repenting, pleasing his mom. He just was trying to figure out how he could work the system to get a bike. And finally, it hit him. He had this amazing idea, at least amazing to him. Determined to get the bike, that's his motive, he snuck out of his room and ran into the kitchen where he grabbed a roll of paper towels, a roll of duct tape and a large plastic bag. Then he ran into his living room and carefully grabbed the Virgin Mary from his mother's nativity set. Frantically, he ran back into his room and carefully wrapped the Virgin Mary, first in a whole roll of paper towels and then with a whole roll of duct tape, size of a basketball now at this point, and then took that, that big ball with the Virgin Mary in the middle of it and stuck it in a bag and then he climbed up to the top of his closet and hid it way in the back of the closet on the top shelf where he thought nobody would ever look to find it and he sat down grinning very very aggressively he sits down his plan is complete and he begins by saying okay I'll write that letter to Jesus now he picks up the paper and the pen and he wrote a letter to Jesus a very brief one but it went like this it said dear Jesus I've been real bad this year and I'm in a lot of trouble However, if you ever want to see your mother again, you better make sure I get that bike. You better make sure I get that bike. Amen, right? Johnny is now in jail serving 25 to life, all right? And that's, that's, that's how that story ends up if that's a kid. <laughs> now, I tell that joke, I have a lot of Christmas jokes, but this is one of my favorites because it's, it's funny, but it also shows really the conflicting nature of some of the messages of Christmas. And now, presents are not a bad thing, obviously, but I think for a lot of people, the most common idea of what Christmas is, is gift giving, gift exchanges, and that's a wonderful thing. And I just want to point out today that that is a good thing, but it's not necessarily the main thing. In fact, if we want to sort of recognize why we value the gift giving experience so much in Christmas, I think it does us well to recognize that we sort of base this whole thing on the fact that God has given us the greatest gift the world has ever known, Jesus. And he wants us to deeply reflect on Jesus' incarnation, on what it means for him to become flesh and bone, and why that gift really matters for our everyday lives. So I only have one truth that I wanna share with you this morning. It is still a part of our We Believe series, but we might call it the We Believe Christmas edition. This leads me to the only We Believe truth I wanna share with you today. It's rooted in this idea of God giving us his best at all times, his son. And it simply is this. We believe Jesus' incarnation, his coming to earth, matters because it gives us a crystal clear picture of who God really is Jesus becoming flesh gives us the the absolute indisputable evidence not only of who God is but of how God wants us to understand him and how he wants us to relate to the world we live in and we read just a section of John chapter 1 verse 14 it's the only portion we'll talk about today but I'll reread it to you as a frame of reference John tells us the word speaking of Jesus the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us." Now, this word, the word, is in the scripture a lot. In fact, we talked about the word in detail several months ago when I talked about Jesus. We had a few weeks where we talked about we believe in Jesus. And one of the interesting things about the word, the word, is it comes from the Greek word, the logos. And the idea was that, that, that where we get our sort of thoughts for reason in our modern Western world come from this idea. The very nature of the world signifies that there is a reason. And when we speak of Jesus, the word becoming flesh, the reason for life, the reason f- that we can have a, a hope in this world, the reason that we can be a people who know that we are loved and cherished, know that we are a people who matter and are valued in God's eyes, is because of this reason. The word becomes flesh. The word has significance in many ways. And I want you to think about this for a moment. In our personal relationships, a person's word is almost always the best way to get to know them on, on a deeper level. God sending Jesus to the world is one of the ways he chose to speak to the world. And in our personal lives, our words to each other do a very similar thing. So for example, I'll give you a couple examples of this. Think about what it looks like when you invite somebody over to your house for supper for the first time. Usually when you do this, you want to make sure you're going to cook something that they like and can eat. There are only two ways to find that information out, especially if you don't know them, if this is a new relationship. You can just cook something for them and hope it all works out. Or you can ask the person directly what they would like to eat and know for certain. Their response, their spoken word, takes the guesswork out of trying to know who they are and what they desire, what they like when it comes to the kind of food they eat. And as a result, this is a small example, but in this particular area of that relationship, you get to know that person better in that area of life. The relationship progresses. Let me give you another example, perhaps one a little more serious. Think about how hard it would be if you are married or dating somebody or want to date somebody. Think about how hard it would be if you were to get to know some, You were trying to get to know somebody, dating this person, but they never ever spoke to you. You literally hung out with them, you texted them, you called them, and they did not ever say a word back to you. Some of you are like that's happened a lot of times. You maybe you need some marriage dating counseling. I'm just saying, all right? It would be near impossible, right, to know them on a deeper level if they were not revealing those deeper levels to you through their spoken word. That sort of reveals the insides, the the, the reality of who we are. Their lack of words would stop the relationship from going into something with real substance. And so in our relationships, our spoken words reveal a definitive clarity about who we are and what we desire in life. They tell people about who we are. This is one of the reasons Jesus' incarnation is so important for us. And it's one of the reasons why the word, the word is so important to us. Because God's word is the definitive revelation of who he is and who God is. He decides to reveal himself to the world in, the most, in an amazing way. He becomes flesh in Jesus. And here is why this really matters for your life and mine. It matters far beyond the Advent table and Tuesday of this week. In Jesus, God permits us this incredible opportunity to see who God really is. Lots of questions in our world today. Is there a God? Who is God? Does God look like this? There's tons of questions about the nature and whether or not God is even real. And in the Christian faith, what is amazing is that God evidences himself in Jesus and then gives us a tangible Example of, of his life and a written word to follow him for the rest of our days while we await a second coming. In Jesus, his, his character, God's heart, God's compassion, his will, and his relational expectations for us and the way we treat others, they are revealed. In Jesus, the mystery of the heavens are concretely revealed to us. They're no longer a mystery. He shows us what it means to really know, love, and follow God. He is the epicenter of their relationship with God. He's their traffic control for the whole thing. And so in these verses, John tells us God most clearly revealed himself to us by taking on flesh and blood in Jesus. God revealed himself to people in many different ways in the Old Testament. But the way he wants, sort of the the defining example now is Jesus. And in the Christian faith, this is what we call the incarnation. For the Christian, it is very important that we understand what this is and why it matters so much in our lives. Why we spend a whole month celebrating it and focusing on it. Simply put, the incarnation is the historical event of Jesus becoming a man. And he takes on flesh like us, he is born like us, he lives like us, he works like us, he eats like us, he drinks like us, he is reading the scriptures like us, he is proclaiming God to the world like us, he is like us in every way, except for two very significant ways. And these need to be pointed out. The first is even though Jesus is fully human when he comes to earth, He's also fully God. This really matters. We don't believe that Jesus was just born a man in a manger. We believe he was fully God and fully man born in that manger. And this is important to know because Jesus being fully human means he can sympathize and empathize with us in every single way. This is one of the great truths of the manger. Our joys in life, our struggles, our hardships, they are not foreign to God. Why? Because they were not foreign to Jesus. Jesus endured them, suffered them, went through them, he dies like us, he understands them, all of the things we deal with in life, and relates to us when we endure them. Because as a man, he endured the very same things. I'll say multiple times today, God in Jesus shows us he did not choose to deal with humanity on the fringes. He chose to be directly connected with us. And because we believe he is also fully God, not just man, but fully God, while on earth, Jesus is able to do something we cannot do in our humanity. He is able to perfectly relate to God in a way that we cannot. He is just and right in everything he said and did. And this leads us to the second difference between Jesus and us. The second is unlike us. Even though Jesus was fully human, when he walked this earth, he was completely without sin. He is fully God, fully man, and without sin. These are the the distinguishing marks between the life we celebrate today and the differences in our lives. And this is clearly another area of Jesus' life that is very unlike ours. And this is also important to know. Because we believe that Jesus' sinless nature, his perfect righteousness, is why he is able to satisfy God's demand for justice when dealing with the problem of sin. We won't spend a lot of time talking about the cross this morning, that's not the emphasis of today. But you have to know that without Jesus, there is a punishment that must be leveled on the world. But because of Jesus and Jesus' righteousness, he absorbs that punishment for us. Jesus is without sin. And he is able to put himself on the cross and die for our sins, to die in our place. And so when John says, the word has become flesh, he is literally saying in Jesus, God came down to earth for a very specific reason. We can sort of summarize it like this. To fully relate to us and to fully reveal God's definitive truth and grace to the world. Because God is a God of covenant relationship. That's a word we use a lot around here. And covenant relationship, we can sort of say, maybe a loose synonym for that is meaningful relationships. That's the way we like to talk about that here. That's why community is such a deep value for us as a church. God is the God of meaningful and lasting relationships. And this is why he did not base our relationship, our faith with him on a hokey religious ritual. He did not design some set of abstract ideas. The Christian faith, although there are certainly there's a morality in it and all kinds of commandments, They are not or the, the Christian faith is not rooted in rules in and of itself. You can have the rules and still be very far from God. God did not determine that philosophies would be the way that we relate to him. None of that is, you can find a little bit of all of this in Christianity, but to see Christianity solely as these things misses the heart of the epicenter of Christianity. God bases Christianity, our relationship with him, on a meaningful covenant relationship with his eternal son. What i'm trying to say here is god relates to us in a person because god wants to know us and god desires us to know him and that's what the manger represents paul puts it this way in colossians chapter 1 verse 15 jesus is the image of the invisible god he is the firstborn over all creation in other words that which we know as invisible that which we desire to see was made visible when jesus walked the earth and we still have his life and his teachings his scripture God's people, his church present locally and global, all of these things are still communicating the image of the invisible God. We await, we await Jesus' return. And in this season, we are the image of the invisible God. It is Jesus and us. And this is what we deeply believe is the true meaning of Christmas. And in this meaning, we find a beautiful distinctive in the Christian faith. Because the incarnation of Jesus shows us, in an unparalleled way, just how much God loves us, and the extreme sacrifice he was willing to make for us when he left heaven to prove it. I don't think God was proving himself to humanity, but if we, need a, if we need a further evidence of the love God has for us, we should look at the fact that Jesus leaves the comfort of heaven to walk a life on this earth, to endure trial and suffering just like us, and to eventually be taken off the earth for our sins. This is a great, and it's a great evidence of the love God has for us and the sacrifice which he's willing to show us. And so while our modern folktale versions of Christmas, they can be fun and they are entertaining, I'm not against them. I'm just saying for the Christian, if Christmas is just about Santa, elves, the frenzy of presents, nostalgic Christmas music, what happens is we are selling ourselves short on the deep implication, the deep relationship that God is trying to give us with him through Jesus. And I always think it's a bit ironic that in the frenzy of gift giving, that often rules the day this time of year. We are very prone to forget the greatest gift the Christmas story is meant to lead us to, Christ, who leaves the comfort of heaven and disadvantages himself in every way so that we could not only see God, but actually know God in this life and forever. And so from God's perspective, the meaning of Christmas is that he wants to know you. It has always been his desire for us to be his people and for him to be our God. And we had this type of relationship once before with God, but because of sin, we no longer do. And so to remedy this, God says, here is my son. Here is Jesus. He's born sinless. He is fully God and fully man. Here's my olive branch to you. Look to the manger, look to the cross, trust in me, and be my people once more. That's why we say the manger is something we may, maybe we emphasize in the month of December, but it should be at the root of our hearts and everything we think and say and do for Jesus as we leave this place and you know, dwell on the other 11 months of the year. When we see the manger like this, when we understand Christmas is this way, What it means, it deeply honors God and it also allows us to understand our full worth in this world. In other words, one of the gifts the manger also offers us is a chance to really know and see just how much God loves us. It is a continual message of God's desire to know and love us. And so you see the incarnation really matters because it gives us a clear picture of how much we matter to God. John 1.14, I'll read it again. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Literal Greek here means he pitched a tent amongst us. It would be like somebody you didn't know just showing up in your backyard, living in your backyard one day in a tent because they desire to know you. This is what dwelling means in the Greek. Pitch this tent among us. God shows us just how much we matter to him in the way he chose to pursue and dwell amongst us. This little verse, God becoming flesh in Christ and dwelling amongst us, is an incredibly profound truth for us to understand. The implication for our lives is significant and the implication for the lives of those we come in contact with is equally as significant. Let me explain. Not too long ago, I had an interesting conversation with a person about the Christmas season. This conversation is representative of a conversation that happens with a lot of people during the holiday season. You probably have had a conversation with somebody like this, or know somebody who was maybe in a situation like this. The nature of what I'm about to share with you is what I would call like an archetype conversation. It's going on a lot, whether people are sharing it with us or not. And throughout the course of our chat, we spoke about a lot of things, but one statement really stood out. It was this person's statement that said this, every year she saw hardship around Christmas time. But for whatever reason, in recent years, she saw a lot more hardship than normal. For whatever reason, over the past years, it seemed like there was an increased amount of hurt and suffering in the peer relationships that this person had with other people. And in that very brief moment, a very pointed moment, it really gives us an interesting commentary about people. It's a perpetual reminder to me and should be to us about a constant reality that exists right at our doorstep. One that if we're not careful, we'll tend to insulate ourselves from. I don't think in malevolent ways, I just think we can be so enamored with the, with the greatness of everything Christmas is that we forget that greatness is not meant to just be held up in us. It's meant to be poured out on the world that we live in. We might even forget that it exists if we're not concerned about it or looking for it. The person I spoke to was talking about a very different side of Christmas, the side that isn't necessarily filled with happily, happy family dinners or Christmas caroling. For some people, I I want you to think about this. This is the time of the year that highlights very extreme differences between the haves and have nots. It reminds people of the sharp contrast between times of feast and famine. And I'll give you a limited list here, but nonetheless, this is a very pointed list. There are people right now in our lives that are enduring what I'm about to share with you. For some people, this is gonna be the first Christmas they celebrate without a loved one who's passed away. And while they are happy for Christmas to be here, there is a sobering reminder about somebody who is not with them. Tuesday morning for some people this is going to be the first Christmas after a major move whether that's a physical move a relocation a job move whatever and they're going to realize that they don't necessarily have any meaningful relationships yet the the warmth of Christmas might trans it it might sort of feel somewhat lonely for them for some people this will be the first Christmas without a long-held job that they once had in other words they were laid off or they had to change careers or something it's just going to be very different this year For some people this will be the first time, the first Christmas, that they have a newly diagnosed disease and they will celebrate on Tuesday trying to think about how the rest of their life looks with whatever physical ailment they're now dealing with. For some this will be the first Christmas they have after their divorce. For some this season will call into question whether or not they even want to go on living. It is indisputable, every stat on earth tells us that while one section of society gets very happy right now there's another section that actually gets very unhappy. It's sort of like a season that brings out the best of what's going on in our lives and also increases the anxiety and the depression that people struggle with. Now, this is a list that I could share. I could add more things to this, but I probably don't need to because there are definitely legitimate challenges going on in people's lives and maybe even in your life right now. And this is what is perhaps the most ironic thing about the Christmas season. It's a time that is supposed to remind us of God's goodness, of his grace, and of just how much we are valued before him. How much we are cherished in his eyes. Yet for some people, it becomes the time of the year when we're looking at everything but God and we feel less valuable as people because of it. We can get so distracted by the hustle and the bustle, the gift giving, the family travel, the gifts. It always amazes me. People will stand in line for gifts this year. Toy crazes or whatever it is in an electronic, and they will be on their curb next year. That's what happens. Like you will literally fisticuff your neighbor to get a whatever the, the, the latest thing is but next year your neighbor will be able to take it from you for free, from your trash can It's kind of a distraction, right? As Christians, it can be so easy for us to get wrapped up in all of this stuff or to solely focus on the manger from inside the walls of this rented theater to sing about God's light in here while we're surrounded by people who are suffering in the darkness out there However, a proper understanding and application of Jesus' incarnation it, it will not allow us to do so We can certainly live in violation of this but the truth of the Incarnation actually says we cannot live this way. And I want to share with you a, verse or a few verses from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14-18. through 18. It's, it's another take on the Incarnation written by the author of Hebrews. And it says this. Since we, think about this, since we have been made with flesh and blood, it was for this reason, and I put Jesus in brackets, that's my word, not Hebrews. It was for this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. That's us. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. This is an incredibly powerful verse. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able now to help those who are being tempted. What this teaches us is that Jesus came to earth, suffered like us, did what he did, So that we could know there was somebody who would endure what we endure Who could be a high priest and advocate for us And so I want you to hear this as we begin to wrap this up this morning And we begin to focus our attention towards the Christ candle You can search the religions of the world And I would challenge you to if you are struggling or skeptical against towards Christianity You can search the religions of the world The philosophies of the world The hokey religious ideas of the world The abstract principles of the world You could do all of that but you will never find a God that willingly subjects himself to suffering and hardship like this because of our failures and sin. And like Jesus, he, he's, he's born like us, right? He lives like us. He looks like us. He works like us, laughs like us, suffers like us, and even dies like us. Jesus does all this. And God sends him to earth knowing what he's going to deal with. I always like to say when God sent Christ to earth, he didn't just take like a, a, a calculated risk. He took a guaranteed risk. God fully is aware of what the outcome is going to be, and we obviously will discuss that in great detail during Easter. He knows that the perfect Christ child, whom uh, we sing about now in the manger, is going to be subjected to the same hardships we deal with on a daily basis. He puts his son in harm's way. And in Jesus we see God did not choose to deal with us from a distance or on the fringes of humanity. And that's important to know as we leave this place today. Especially, it's been no secret here, we are gonna be unable to have a Christmas Eve worship service this year because of a ton of logistics and theater complications and people complications. But where you go, you will go out into the fringes of humanity. And it's our prayer that you would recognize the light of Jesus in you has a great opportunity this week to light up the areas of your world where it is needed. Because this is what Jesus does for us. The light of the world chooses to roll his sleeves up and he immerses himself in a place of darkness that would eventually reject and crucify him. And even though he's fully God, he doesn't endow himself with any privilege that allows him to escape any of this. No emotion, no hardship, no rejection, no pain, no sorrow. In fact, God ensured that he would go through all of these things for our benefit. That's what Hebrews tells us. And so I leave you with these thoughts. What kind of a God does this for his people? What kind of a God trades glory for humility? What type of a God in, in a world where kings reign supreme changes kingship for servanthood, What type of a God trades this perfect love and unity with his Father in heaven for rejection and death on earth? Well, there's a very simple answer here, but it's a a simple answer that has a very rich meaning for our souls. The kind of God who acts this way is a God who loves us. It's a God who through Jesus' incarnation says, you deeply matter to him. And if you ever doubt that, all you need to do is look at the table, look at the manger, and think about the holes in his hands, the stripes on his back. From birth to death to resurrection to where he sits now, the story of Jesus, like we just sang, he's the song of love from our God. And so it is my hope this Christmas week that you will enjoy every festive reality of Christmas. But that you will make the king of all these realities, Jesus Christ. That you will experience his light and his life, what he brought to us, and that you will be compelled to offer it to others. That, that it's so rich and rooted in you that you can't help but bring it to the people through your words and deeds that come in contact with you. Whenever God prevent, uh, provides that opportunity, God does not prevent those opportunities, provides them. Key word, I'm saying that to you and for the sermon that's being recorded. So as we close, remember this. If you're looking to other things this morning, if you've been trying to find hope or joy or peace or love in things that have failed you, know that the manger shows us a place where you can find these things permanently and, and in ways that would bring great fruit and meaning to your life. The manger shows us that it's truly God's desire that you will stop looking elsewhere and start looking to Jesus. That's why he sent him here. And I pray that this truth, these candles would light your heart this week as you celebrate the coming of Christ. Pray with me.